I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Decrypt.co, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Aaron. Today on the show, digital currencies from China, the EU, and Australia. Vote validation on the blockchain. And what happens to Bitcoin if Trump or Biden wins? Coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. What's up, everybody? Today is Monday, November 2nd, 2021, day away from the presidential election. And I can't say that this whole week won't have something to do with voting or the election or the economy in the election. I just can tell that this whole week is going to be devoted to talking about who is the president of the United States, because do we really think it's going to happen tomorrow? Are we going to have the results? I mean, I hope so. But it's probably going to drag on for a couple days, weeks, maybe even after that. Now, I'm not going to do that on the podcast. I'm not going to allow it to drag on that far. But I bet you there's going to be a lot of amazing questions that come out of the election results or the lack thereof that we might want to be able to answer with blockchain technology or cryptocurrency. And a couple of things we're going to talk about today is vote validation on the blockchain and what happens to Bitcoin in terms of if Trump wins or if Biden wins. I mean, people are talking about that with the stock market. We should also be talking about that with the crypto market. Speaking of the markets, let's take a look at those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. And I'm recording this at 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin's at $13,523.68, up 0.2% from over the weekend. Ethereum, $385.48. Litecoin, $5396. Chainlink, $1092. And XRP slipping 1% at $0.23.6. Over the weekend, Bitcoin crossed at $14,000 mark, which is its highest it's ever closed since January of 2018. Now, this is very bullish. I want to tell you a couple reasons why I think this market is very bullish. Now, this is not investment advice. This is not financial advice. This is just me being in the crypto space for about four years looking at the prices. And if you remember in 2016, the halving happened in July. And from July until December, January of 2016, 2017, we had Bitcoin go from, let's just call it around $500 and slowly move up until it hit its previous all-time high of $1,000 that happened back in 2013. So it took, let's just call it roughly six months to hit that previous all-time high. Well, Bitcoin this time halved in May and it's slowly moving up from its point of halving. And we are now almost, let's just say 70% from its previous all-time high, which is $20,000. Roughly, let's call it $20,000. So we're seeing this cycle cycle back again. And I just feel that this is really bullish. And a lot of people are putting money and a lot of capital is going into Bitcoin. This is why we have a higher BTC dominance. And the dominance today is 63.5%. Last time, this is exactly what happened before, is we saw Bitcoin dominance just basically dominate the whole crypto space until that money from Bitcoin slowly fell down into alts. And then we had an alt pump as well. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing if history does rhyme 
or it even repeats itself. And we see by the end of this year or early next year, $20,000 Bitcoin, and then slowly see that accumulate to become more and more or higher, higher Bitcoin price until we see 2x, 3x, 4x previous all-time high, and then maybe even higher highs. And then eventually watch that money come out of Bitcoin, flow into all coins, and we see a big rush of all coin prices. Well, we'll see how this plays out. But of course, remember, this is not financial advice. This is not investing advice. This is just me trying to look at history and see if it repeats itself. And let me know what you think. Matthew Aaron at Decrypt.co. Send me an email. The election is going to take over everybody's TVs and everybody's conversations for the next couple of days. But with these conversations, they're always going to be like, this person won, this person won, voter suppression, disenfranchisement, legal stuff here, lawsuits over here, media's opinion, media's opinion. But within those conversations, there has to be a solution with blockchain technology. And if there is, I'm going to try to find it. Well, my first conversation, I'm going to talk to Amre Tekasab, head of business development of O1 Labs, where he's going to tell me about vote verification done on the blockchain. Maybe that can help us out. Let's check it out. How is San Francisco doing right now? And how are you guys feeling about the election tomorrow? Well, SF is pretty all right. It's, you know, California gets lucky in this time of the year and that the weather continues to be well. And, you know, it's it's still warm. Uh, fortunately, fires are no longer. So doing all right. The elections, on the other hand, well, we'll see. It's uh, it's interesting, right? It's um, There's a lot of questions in people's minds about um, not only which way this will go, but also about um, how much they can trust the elections themselves. And that's why we're talking right now. We're, we're talking about vote verification. We're talking about what you guys could do for vote verification and what that could mean to the election process here and everywhere. Can you tell us about one, what is vote verification and what it could do to elections? Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about elections today in 2021, we still do them by mail or in person, right? It's a bit antiquated, so to say. Um, And that's the case in many countries. Um, Although some elections move digital, there's still a lot of questions in people's minds about whether they're hacked, what about their privacy, whether they can actually verify that their vote has been counted correctly. You know, this is because in the digital realm, um, things are still pretty much um, non-private and non-auditable. You know, from if if you think of things like Facebook or Google and, you know, all the question marks in people's minds about how these large conglomerates are behaving, you can easily see why it's hard to trust um, elections as well. So what what we here at O1 Labs um, are are thinking of and, and working on is how how can we solve this um, issue and dilemma here in 2021? And this comes in the form of um, this magic of zero knowledge proofs, uh, or zk snarks is, is another name commonly uh, people use, uh, which we already are are you know pretty familiar with. Um, we use zk snarks um, to develop um, our public blockchain you know, protocol. Um, which has been in the works for quite a long time and, and is gonna be launching pretty soon. Um, and one of the use cases that we're looking into is you know, verifiable elections, as you said. And here, the notion is that um, if you use your knowledge proofs in the right way, you can actually have digitally um, trustworthy auditable elections um, because you have two things. One of them is a state layer with MENA, right? Because you know, as, as with anything that's commonly shared and has to be commonly accessible, there has to be a common state layer. Otherwise, you know, things live in multiple worlds in the digital world, a provable auditable way and a private way of um, submitting your vote. 
Um, and that's happening via zero-knowledge proofs. That's where I have a hold up with this. And I want you to walk me through this as well, because it, as the listeners know, I'm the skeptic. When we're talking about ZK SNARKs, zero-knowledge proof, the, the, that is used in some of the um, most popular privacy coins right now. Why? Because you want to hide transactions. You don't want to know who is sending what to where and, and all kinds of different things. With elections, with voting, you do kind of know, want to know a couple things about where the ballots came from. Like you want to know demographics. You want to know where it came from, what state it came from, what city, so you can, you know, have the predictive modeling of, of who's going to win the election. Is we can, you know, look back and go, this is how they voted that time, how they're going to vote this time. One, can you preserve all of that information? And and the other one is, it's when you're talking about auditing elections, you're also talking about I voted for for this and making sure it counts. If that's hidden, how do you know that? I, my vote is being counted, Matthew's vote is being counted, or any, any individual person's vote is being counted. How do you make that convincing for the voter by not just telling them about math? Well, I'll, I'll start with the latter question. It's You, you do it by using math, right? Um, so the way- <laughs> That's um, the problem though. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but it's 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 math that can be um, you know easily verified by someone and using you know clever UX tricks. So one example I'll give is, zoom out of the blockchain world for a second, um, you know, we all use the internet, you know, 24 <laughs> seven. And whenever you go onto your browser, there's that little, um, green, or, you know, there's this lock icon, uh, right. That you, we've all learned to look for. Otherwise we're like, oh, am I being fished? That also uses math, right. Um, that uses public private key cryptography using TLS signatures and, and other stuff. And, um, you know, you don't need to verify the math beyond it because we've using open source, um, tooling and algorithms. We've all used to learn to trust. Um, that that green lock actually means, um, you know, what it's meant to mean, which is, you know, well, this, this, I'm actually on Google or Medium or whatever, right? And I'm not being fished. So in a similar way, um, zero knowledge proofs or snarks, um, you know, we're still in the very early days, but, you know, you can easily um, add the right lever, layers or UX and say, um, you know, hey, look, um, Matthew, um, you received the ballot, right? Um, and you have this um, program on your computer, which if you use this ballot, um, it is a unique identifier, which you know um, we've all learned also to use in in blockchains and cryptocurrencies right now. Um, you know, using whether it's your Bitcoin address or whether it's your transaction hash, and you submit using that um, number, which is basically your ballot, um, your vote, right? And this leads into the second question, uh, where like you know, okay, well, how can I make certain things non-private and such that I can use some of that information auditable? Zero knowledge proofs are like a tool set. Um, they they don't necessarily imply like privacy um, in and of themselves. In fact, in Mina um, or blockchain, we it's it doesn't have the private transactions by default. Uh, we're using zero knowledge proofs to basically fix the blockchain and the fixed size. And here as well, you can um, keep or, or make things private in a selective manner, right? You, you only make um, your your name and who you voted for um, private, but everything else can be public, um, whether you know which which demographic group you belong to or where you voted from or when you voted at, um, you know, all of these things can be made public, but just, you know, hide the crucial bits which you don't want to reveal to the rest of the world um, and basically you know allow for some analysis to be done on the election but um, you know keep the right things private what would you say to the average consumer the average person that is listening to this that how this could change the landscape of elections globally well the no-brainer um, outcome in my mind is it just you know um, dynamic drastically increases um, voter turnout Right. One of the reasons, if you, and this is a during the U.S. elections, it's it's very frequently discussed. Um, all the you know disenfranchisement and, and other issues that happen because logistically voting is hard and not easy to access. 
The second thing I can think of is that it basically makes elections much more frequent, whether that's a right thing or a bad, a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not one to opine on it. I have no expertise in this world, but at least it gives you the option, right? So what if what happens if instead of four years, we vote for, um, you know, every one year? Or what if instead of um, delaying certain, you know, ballot measures, such as all the propositions in, in local um, governance here in the US or other countries, you do those more dynamically whenever they're supposed to be um, right um, brought up or voted on. So it just adds a whole lot more flexibility and utility because now things are digital and they're far more accessible. Actually, I really agree with you with that one. And that is about the frequency of voting. Um, I would love to see a, a, a space where the constituents of representatives are voting constantly throughout the years on different things that their uh, representatives should be voting on to at least hear how their populace or their constituents feel about certain bills, laws, uh, policies, and, and so on and so forth. Hey, man, I really appreciate you coming on and talking all about this. Good luck with everything. And thanks, Matthew. It was fun. You know, I feel that I vote the way I vote because I feel like I want to help shape the way the country should be. And when I hear the candidate speak, I listen and then I go, I, okay, that I, I resonate with that. You're going to be the guy in office. Let's get there. But when I am voting and putting that vote in the box, it doesn't mean that all the changes that I'm voting for are going to happen. And actually, sometimes some changes are not even discussed, especially what happens to the crypto space if Trump or if Biden wins. Well, for that conversation, I reached out to Artem Bespalov, CEO of ASIC Jungle, to chat about that. Enjoy. Hey, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me here today. Look, man, tomorrow is the election here in the United States. Trump, Biden, you know, us in the crypto space, we're wondering what is going to happen to the market? What's going to happen to Bitcoin if either of them get elected? Look, I always look at it as like, you know, Obama, he was elected and Bitcoin was born during his administration and it hit $1,000 while he was in office. But you know what? It hit 20000 while Trump was in office. What do you see for the future, sir? You know, I think both candidates are uh, are pro big government. I mean, even if Trump claims that he's a small government guy, I mean, he's just not. Um, he's in favor of uh, monetary stimulus. He's in favor of uh, QE, money printing, and everything in general, which I think is um, is definitely a good case scenario for Bitcoin and for um, safe haven commodities such as uh, such as gold as well. In general, I think actually we might see even a, a better case scenario than what we have now because with an increase in money printing, the, such purposes such as saving the bond market, uh, preventing it from crashing because that would be simply disastrous for the economy. Uh, we are increasing up the inflation. And really what we have is uh, with the increase on in inflation and uh, with, uh, with the amount of inflation and money printing that we have now, we we'll definitely see countries selling up more uh, U.S. treasuries, which, uh, in my opinion, the, the, the Fed will keep printing uh, more money to keep that stable. And um, inevitably, in my opinion, that's going to lead to more QE and eventually potentially a, a dollar crisis, which uh, would be the, the best case scenario for, 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 for Bitcoin and other, uh, as I said, safe haven assets to, 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 to rise in price. Who do you think is going to print more money? I mean, COVID is far from over. We're seeing a spike around the world, especially in Europe and the United States. Lockdowns could be coming. You know, then if lockdowns come, we're going to need more bailout. Who do you think is going to print more money? We know that the Democrats have been pushing for a $2.2 trillion bill, stimulus bill. The Republicans are aiming for a little bit lower without without including Trump, which uh, which is definitely in favor for more money. So this is really a tough question to answer because they're both 
such in favor of uh, of printing more money. Uh, lockdowns are definitely not going to help the economy. I don't, I don't think the economy was was in a good shape, um, as Trump is claiming, because uh, if the economy was indeed in a good shape, we wouldn't need all these uh, stimulus to help uh, bail companies that shouldn't be on the market out. Uh, we wouldn't need to people by printing uh, stimulus checks uh, because that simply wouldn't be the case if the economy was in a good shape. So it's a really tough question to answer, in my opinion. We'll see. We'll definitely see huge levels of money printing for coming from both candidates. You know, there's other things that you know come into play about how the economy does, and especially how people look at Bitcoin as Bitcoin being a safe haven. Do you think that these, say, outside policies, China, Iran, uh, the EU, Paris Climate Accord, do you think some of these have come into play? Well, in terms of being a safe haven, I think that comes down to being a personal um, a personal decision, if it's on a personal basis or even on an institutional basis. Um, I think it really depends on how other, other governments and other central banks react to uh, to the fact of Bitcoin increasing in, in popularity uh, for such a purpose. I think the best is to to wait and see how they react. That's, um, that's, really, that's definitely going to be an interesting thing to see. Uh, but in my opinion, we'll definitely uh, not only double an increase in uh, Bitcoin's popularity as a safe haven, assuming that it will be able to reduce to to, to be a little bit less volatile. And um, in my opinion, it will be because um, the rule of large numbers, uh, the more people will be in the Bitcoin network, the more money they will be flowing into the Bitcoin network, the less volatility we should expect to see because it would be less dependent on um, individual players, individual actors. Um, so in that sense, um, I think that's what's going to happen. What about the tariffs of China? Is, is that going to play any part in Bitcoin's price or the future? Currently, North America is holding between depending on the time, uh, depending on the season, between 12 to 15, 17% of the um, the hash rate, uh, the percentage of the hash, hash rate network. Um, in terms of tariffs, um, definitely it's affecting the mining industry in North America. 25% um, and more um, tariffs for importing my, uh, miners definitely affects um, some decision makers when considering North America for either, either building new farms or simply relocating some of the units. So that does affect, but what we have been seeing is an increasing trend from the part of some of the manufacturers relocating their uh, manufacturing capabilities to uh, to other southeastern Asian countries such as Malaysia. Um, probably we'll see a little bit more of Vietnam in the future. So in my opinion, the market will adapt. The manufacturers will adapt to any sort of tariffs and um, simply relocate to, to places where they can they can produce uh, miners and not be subject to any of the, the tariffs. Artem, I want to say thank you very much for coming on the show and thank you very much for talking to us about the future of the U.S. elections. Great. Thank you very much for having me here. And finally, in other news, more than 2 billion digital yuan has been spent in approximately 4 million separate transactions, according to Yi Gang, the governor of People's Bank of China. This is equivalent to just under $300 million. He said, in quote, For a long time, I see that we will have cash and digital currency coexist in the future. End quote. While China seems to be ahead of the curve for the digital currency field, there is still much more work to be done. During Hong Kong's FinTech Week conference, where Yi was speaking, he said there remains a need for a fairly complicated and very complete legal framework to be created. And on the same token, Australia's central bank has announced a plan to explore the use of digital currency. The project is set to be completed by the end of 2020. I'm a little skeptical with that. Let's see if it's actually completed, but that's pretty big. Australia's plans involve the use of an Ethereum-based platform, a partnership with Commonwealth Bank, National Australia Bank, and Perpetual and Consensus Software. The European Central Bank is also asking the public about the kind of digital euro they want to use. And so they opened up a survey. And one of those questions are, should it rely on intermediaries? That's a very big question. What do you think? Going into another question is, why digital currencies all of a sudden? 
What is the big plan and what's the end game? If you want to take a guess to why, then send me an email, Aaron at decrypt.co. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Aaron. I'll be back tomorrow, election day, with more crypto news. Happy hodling, everybody. I'll see you tomorrow.